On this week's MMA and Wrestling edition of My Take Radio, I share my thoughts on UFC 208, plus the latest happenings in MMA, including the possible return of GSP, the re-retirement of Brock Lesnar, and much, much more. On the wrestling side, of course, we got the Elimination Chamber, and we got Raw and SmackDown, plus the wrestling news of the week. The MMA and Wrestling edition of My Take Radio starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio episode 396, powered by Rageworks, giving you your latest weekly dose of MMA and wrestling goodness. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is your first time tuning in to My Take Radio, first off, I want to say thank you for hitting that download button or pressing play. Nonetheless, we do appreciate it. My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Uh, We air twice a week with one MMA and wrestling edition and then one gaming, entertainment and tech for the most part airing uh, twice a week. Both shows can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio and of course on RageWorks.net. All right. Before we get into this week's episode, a couple of housekeeping items I did want to let you guys know about. Uh, First up, we will be covering Toy Fair this coming weekend uh, from the 18th through the 21st, so definitely keep it locked on social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or on RageWorks.net for all coverage related to Toy Fair. Uh, Myself and the rest of the RageWorks team will will be there pretty much every day. I believe the 21st might be the only day where we're not going to be there the entire day, but we will be reporting from the show floor via social media, giving you guys access to all the latest and greatest toys, collectibles, statues and everything in between i know those of you that are fans of pops will definitely be looking forward to seeing funko's booth which is probably going to be one of our first stops when we go there on saturday the 18th in addition to that of course this is now episode 396 and we are four episodes away from the big mtr 400 episode which we will actually be doing live on wednesday march 1st at 11 30 p.m eastern 8 30 p.m pacific uh, that's going to be our live, you know, episode for the milestone. Uh, 400 episodes is a long time. You know, we've been doing this <laughs> longer than I care to admit sometimes. And um, it's pretty cool hitting 400. But i um, really looking forward to it, uh, doing an, a live broadcast. All of our usual suspects will probably be involved in some capacity. And we will probably be taking calls. I decided to extend the blog talk radio agreement one more month so that we could do MTR 400 before doing away with it in its entirety. 
nonetheless, though, I am looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to chopping it up, not only with the staff about what's going on in MMA and wrestling that week, but also with you guys who will have opportunities to interact during the live broadcast, whether it's via the chat room on mtrlive.com or via the call-in number. Now, I know a lot of you guys also have been reaching out with regards to uh, the broadcast schedule. Well, let me rephrase that, the podcast schedule for My Take Radio. As of right now, we're still trying to iron it out with uh, most recordings for the MMA and Wrestling Edition happening overnight from Wednesday to Thursday with the show either being released late Thursday or early Friday. And then the Gaming and Entertainment Edition will be taped usually overnight from Thursday to Friday with a release either Friday or Saturday morning. But nonetheless, that seems to be where we're going thus far. Uh, really just trying to structure it very well to make sure that the scheduling is consistent. I know the last couple of weeks things have been a little touch and go and we're really trying to improve that. But hopefully we should have something ironed out within the next week or two. By the time MTR 400 rolls around, we'll have a concrete broadcast schedule set up. Well, podcast release schedule, excuse me. So used to to doing live stuff that I forget. But yes, uh, hopefully we'll have that finalized by episode 400. Also, we got some guests on deck probably after episode 400, if not before, uh, both on the MMA and wrestling side, but also on the gaming and entertainment side. Uh, We also did release a brand new episode of The Variant Issue. That's episode number 10 with myself and Jimbo Slice breaking down all the latest happenings in Marvel and DC Comics and everything associated with that medium. So definitely check it out if you haven't. Also, of course, this week you're going to be catching new episodes of TRSS and Call Me When It's Over with Josie's Boy. And we'll probably also have a new episode of Black is the New Black uh, with Ben and Taylor also heading your way this week. So definitely a busy week in the RageWorks Podcast Network community. And we're going to try and make sure that you guys get access to all of that sooner rather than later. I know that we've been trying to finalize the Spotify and Google Play um, enhancements and updates but things have kind of hit a bit of a snag. Not sure what's going on. I I know on the Google side, there's a bit of a backlog in terms of getting shows onto the Google Play site, onto the Google Play store, excuse me. But hopefully we should have that resolved in the coming weeks. And of course, once we get an update, we will report on that for you guys, whether it be on air or on RageWorks.net. Uh, just a quick reminder, as always, keep up with us on social media. Links for that will be in the notes for this episode. And I know a lot of you guys have also been watching shows on YouTube. If you haven't, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks to stay up to date with not only all the episodes of My Take Radio and the Variant Issue, but also all our unboxings, product reviews, and event coverage as well. All right. I think that's going to close out all the housekeeping. Let's jump into this week's MMA. Let's get right to it. So this past weekend, the UFC made its way back to New York City with UFC 208 at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And I got to say that the card had very little fanfare going in. And overall, the fights were they were solid on paper, but just going and expressing real interest in the event was really tough. Obviously, you know, the, the, the crowning of a brand new women's featherweight champion was definitely enticing, as was. Uh, Anderson Silva fighting here in New York City. But outside of that, I felt that the event overall was lackluster. And I got to say, you know, and I noticed over the last couple of episodes, I was falling back into into the old habit 
of going through the match by match recap. There's no, you know, I always tell tell myself there's no sense in doing that because you guys by this point when we do the show have either seen it or have seen highlights from it. So just want to try and focus on what I liked, what I dislike, and and notable fights on the card. Uh, the Jim Miller Dustin Poirier card first of all comes to mind. Uh, really like Jim Miller. I felt let down by the way the fight went. I really thought that we were definitely going to get a finish. Um, it definitely was a bit even to start things off, and then Poirier kind of started uh, running away with the fight. But it was interesting because Dustin Poirier took majority decision, and um, I, I really disagreed with that. I felt that Miller definitely was the aggressor in the first round. And Poirier, out of the three rounds, he looked better in the second, but Miller had more dominant moments, more dominant exchanges in the third round. But nonetheless, this is one of those things where you can't you can't let it go to the judges, and that's what happens. Once it goes to the judges, it's game over. Also, I did want to talk about Glover Teixeira's fight, which was also another letdown. I expected that to be a little bit more aggressive on the light heavyweight side of things, but it was a rather a rather just academic paint by numbers performance by Glover Teixeira. Um, you know, it is it is what it is. That was pretty much going to be the theme for the rest of the night, with the exception of Jacare's performance against Tim Bosch, which I knew was going to be the case as Jacare dispatched Tim Bosch with relative ease in the first round with a submission victory via Kimura. And you know, it's one of the things where everybody's talking about Jacare's stand up. But his jujitsu game is no joke. And it definitely was, um, you know, it was always impressive to watch. Now, Derek Brunson and Anderson Silva's fight on paper, when you look at it, you really could see that Derek Brunson was pretty much uh, the aggressor. Not the aggressor, but definitely the guy that won a lot of exchanges. But in the grand scheme of things, a lot of people felt that Anderson Silva was the guy that kind of pushed the pace and thus secured a uh, unanimous decision, which it, it kind of bothered me. I, I really felt that even though he was a bit of the aggressor, Derek Brunson definitely connected and delivered more damage. But given Anderson Silva's history in the sport and his pedigree, you, you kind of knew it was going to kind of go in his favor. I um I just feel that while Anderson Silva, obviously one of the legends of the sport, a first ballot Hall of Famer, um, you know, had a solid performance. I definitely feel that Derek Brunson was just the better fighter in, uh, you know, in that entire exchange. But obviously, the judges are going to see that differently. And um, you know, it is what it is. I was I was just bummed because I felt that Brunson definitely looked like he took some of those rounds. And to give the the fight to Anderson Silva via unanimous decision was ridiculous. If anything, maybe a split decision. But uh, in no in no shape, way, or form should that fight have been a unanimous decision in any capacity. I felt that was complete and utter bullshit. Um, as for the main event, obviously we were crowning a new women's featherweight champion in Holly Holm or Jermaine Durandamy, and the fight itself was um, a lot. It, it definitely went a lot in Randamy's favor in the early parts of the fight, but Holly Holm definitely turned on that next gear, and there were a lot of questionable moments in the fight. Uh, we had a, a, a low blow, uh, from Holly Holm, we also had some punches after the bell by Jermaine Durandamy. Um, it was it was definitely not a pretty fight by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it definitely had a lot of potential to be really really exciting, but it just kind of petered out. That, like I said, there was a lot of uh, not sketchy not sketchy things, but just things that 
that definitely made you, uh, you know, kind of give the side eye to to Durandami only because I felt that there was there were some things, you know, I mean, her hitting home after the bell in the third uh, it's, it, it definitely was something that should have had a point taken away. And I was bummed about that. I was also just really bummed about the way the fight progressed. I felt like I said that it could have been better. And, um, overall UFC 208 was probably one of the more, I don't want to say disappointing cards, but definitely not a card that lived up to the expectations that I had for it personally. Again, it was a decent card, but it definitely was not a card that should have been on pay-per-view. In all honesty, that should have been a free TV card, but that's just me. Um, in terms of bonuses that were handed out, Dustin Poirier, Jim Miller took the fight of the night bonus, which was well-deserved, and Jacare Souza took a performance bonus. Now, the funny thing is that a lot of people were were reaching out to me, and, and I saw it on social media also, that, um, you know, Jermaine Durand, Damian, a lot of people were saying she was a dirty fighter, uh, you know, hitting Holly home after the bell. There was a lot of sketchy antics from her. And, you know, she she actually released a statement about it on social media. And she said that she would love to give Holly home an immediate rematch so that they can settle any controversy from their UFC 208 bout. And, you know, it's interesting because that's one of those situations where when you look at it, you understand why she would want to do that. But I also feel that, you know, the blemish is there. It reminds me of of a guy that that I was going to talk about before. And that was um, uh, what the heck is his name? Um, Czech Congo, who now fights, uh, you know, he now fights in Bellator. He had a reputation for obviously having some, you know, some sketchy, some sketchy moments in some of his fights. And that was definitely something that was a stigma that was associated with him. And, you know, it it is what it is, but it's something that you kind of don't want to have a reputation for. And we'll see what happens. We'll see if Holly Holm gets the rematch and, um, you know, we'll get into we'll get into that if it happens in, in later episodes. Now, I do have to say that this week, this weekend, excuse me, has some really, really good fights on deck. First of all, we got uh, Fedor and Matt Mitrione, which that goes down uh, February 18th. Uh, really good fight there. Looking forward to seeing Fedor mix it up in the cage. Also, Josh Koscheck's Bellator debut. Czech Congo, I, oddly enough, is fighting on that card. And Josh Thompson and Patricky uh, Pitbull are also fighting on that card. Overall, that card's pretty solid on paper. I'm actually excited to see if uh, Mitrione plays the role of spoiler. I'll give some predictions for that fight, uh, for that card later on. I'm going to give predictions for for the four fights of my choosing. Um, and like I said, we also have a UFC fight night event, which is UFC fight night one Oh five. That's Derek Lewis, Travis Brown for your main event. Johnny Hendricks taking on, um, Hector Lombard on that card. Also Elias Teodoro and Cesar Ferreira will also be on that card. And, um, not too bad. I was going to give some predictions for it. Uh, but some of the fighters, I know some, I don't, and I don't want to, I don't want to break it up by giving, you know, some predictions versus others, but Overall, the card itself looked pretty good. We'll definitely be talking about that during next week's episode. And you know what? I'd rather, instead of giving predictions for, for Bellator 172, I'm actually going to save it for a recap next week, and then we'll we'll get into that. But in some other Bellator news, it looks like Rory McDonald will be making his debut against Paul Daly, which is, you know, that's pretty fucking huge. Um and on top of the fact that he's going to be facing Paul Daly, they will be fighting 
in Wembley, which is going to be crazy at the SSC Arena. That's for Bellator 179, and that's going to be May 19th, and it's going to be broadcast on Spike TV. Really excited for that fight. After the amazing performance Paul Daly had, I'm looking forward to it. And Roy McDonald, of course, uh, making his Bellator debut after leaving the UFC, is poised to try and make a splash at the expense of Paul Semtex Daly. We will see if that is the case. Mark it down on your calendars, folks. May 19th, that fight is going to be fucking fireworks. So, obviously, this past weekend, we crowned a brand new women's featherweight champion in Jermaine Durandamy in her fight against Holly Holm. And a lot of people felt that that was a placeholder for the inevitable debut of Cyborg, who, as many of you know, and I talked about a couple of weeks back, was uh, currently under suspension during due to a failed drug test by the USADA. But it appears that things may not be as as clear cut as they seem. In an interview recently with ESPN, Dana White expressed optimism that Cyborg would be in a UFC cage sooner rather than later. According to what he said, and I quote, he said that the drug that she had taken, she should have immediately let the USADA know about it, but it's legit. She she legitimately has three separate issues that require the usage of the drug that they found in her system and that the doctors are, in fact, endorsing that. And he said, it's looking good for her. I like it a lot. It's interesting because obviously Amanda Nunes has made a claim as wanting to challenge for the women's featherweight title and uh, be the first female two-division champion. But there is obviously the big specter of Cyborg looming and the fact that, you know, this division was pretty much tailor-made for her to come in and be the the main attraction. And now, obviously, she may come in. And while we all would like to see her fight for the belt, I'm sure she'll probably come in, have fight the, whoever the uh, ranked number one contender would be, and then the winner would fight possibly either Jermaine Durandamy outright or if they if her and Holly Holm have a rematch they would in turn fight either one of those ladies who emerge victorious in that fight at the end of the day let's not kid ourselves we all know that this is all leading to Cyborg fighting in the UFC and obviously the dangling carrot to get her and Ronda Rousey in the cage together but I'll be honest I've reached a point now when it comes to Ronda that even if Ronda decided to fight in the cage sure i mean i i'd love to see it but i am intrigued about the possibility of someone like amanda nunez fighting chris cyborg if anything i wouldn't mind seeing amanda nunez fight uh you know jermaine durandamy for an opportunity to be a two-division champion if holly holmes team doesn't agree to the immediate rematch i think that would be a dope fight and then i feel that the winner of that fight should fight chris cyborg who in her right, you know, in her own right is a champion anyway. So uh, very, very interesting things going on in the 145 pound women's division. I am um, I'm excited anyway, it shakes out with regards to Cyborg. It's interesting because it kind of falls into a similar situation with what happened with John Jones, who ended up serving a one year suspension because of some uh, male enhancement pills that he took, which I kind of feel is a is a sketchy thing but you know that's what the commission says and that's what's been publicly recorded so we'll go with it i think um the ufc knows that cyborg is a, is a draw and they need to have her in there because there's a big vacuum right now in terms of other stars that can be marketed that's not to say that amanda nunez isn't marketable i just feel that the ufc isn't even trying to do her a solid that's for damn sure 
In some fight news, Rose Nama Yunus is getting back in the cage, fighting Michelle Waterson, the karate hottie, uh, going down to UFC on Fox 24, April 15th. Uh, looking forward to that fight. Rose Nama Yunus is always one or two fights away from title contention, and Michelle Waterson is another one of those fighters who definitely has mainstream appeal and has the skill set to back it up. I'm looking forward to seeing that. That card goes down April 15th, and as more fights become a uh, as more fights are announced, of course, I will share that with you guys. Another fight that is officially being put together is the unification bout between interim featherweight champion Max Holloway and UFC featherweight champion Jose Aldo, who, of course, uh, regained the featherweight championship after Conor McGregor vacated the title. As of right now, a venue has not been chosen, but all signs point to them squaring off at UFC 212 june 3rd in rio de janeiro brazil now i'm actually looking forward to this fight i think max holloway is a is a very dangerous and capable fighter that is capable of going in there and giving jose aldo a problem jose aldo of course um you know a pound for pound for pound one of the best fighters in the world um you know had been undefeated for years and lost the title to conor mcgregor in a very very highly contested uh 13 second uh flash ko which of course many people have their their opinions on i personally feel that they should run that fight back but i i know for a fact we're not gonna see that anytime soon that's for damn sure but in any case uh holloway and jose aldo are on deck to square off at ufc 212 in june in some other news, which I'm pretty excited about, MMA fighting and various MMA outlets are reporting that GSP and the UFC are on the verge of signing a new multi-fight deal with, um, you know, terms being agreed and GSP pretty much a lock to come back to the organization sooner rather than later. Um, people are estimating that we may see GSP back in the cage within the third quarter of 2017. Of course, GSP and the, and the UFC have been playing chess for three years now in terms of getting him back in there. But now that the UFC is under new ownership, they, they definitely want to try and get some draws in there, especially with Ronda Rousey's future uncertain and Conor McGregor uh, taking time off. There is a very, very big vacuum in terms of pay-per-view draws. That's not to take anything away from the current champions or to take anything away from the guys that are quote unquote names in the sport. But, you know, when when you're looking at, at an investment like the UFC and this new ownership company is definitely evaluating that quite a bit. I mean, they did a roster purge last week, which included uh, Brock Lesnar amongst amongst many other names. I um I definitely know that these guys are trying to come in there and make as much money as possible. And having GSP back in the fold is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, the real question is, are we going to see GSP competing at 170 in his old weight class or are we going to see him possibly competing at 185 i'll be honest i think that at 170 gsp has plenty of great fights that he can have a uh, fight with nick diaz of course is good uh maybe a fight with nate diaz uh hell even a fight with conor mcgregor uh fights with steven wonderboy thompson and of course tyron woodley are always uh good fights to have in on the 185 weight class we you know obviously a fight with bisping would be nice or a fight with anderson silva would be fantastic so there's definitely plenty of opportunity um for gsp in whatever division he chooses to come back to but i do feel that at 170 it's the division that made him a star 
there's plenty of unfinished business there, but I also feel that there's plenty of credible opponents for him at 185. But in all, you know, according to to the reports, we won't have to wait long to see him back in there. Of course, once there's an official announcement from the UFC, I will share it with you guys, whether it be on air or on the site. Now, the next bit of news to wrap things up for this week's MMA segment involves the Ultimate Fighter. As many of you know, I was talking a couple of weeks ago, I was you know discussing the next Ultimate Fighter, which is season 25. It's going to be a, another redemption season, and it's going to feature welterweight competitors who have previously have appeared on the Ultimate Fighter and are vying for a UFC contract. The coaches for this season are going to be Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw, and the show is going to be airing on Fox Sports 1 beginning April 19th. So they actually released the list of fighters who will be coming back for a shot at redemption. There's a lot of names in there that we know very well, including Joe Daddy Stevenson, uh, Gilbert Smith, Jesse Taylor, uh, Eddie Gordon, who actually won uh, the uh, season 19 of The Ultimate Fighter, and of course, Joe Stevenson, which won The Ultimate Fighter season two. Also on the list, uh, Seth Bazinski, Mehdi Baghdad, Justin Edwards, Tom Galicchio, as I said, Eddie Gordon, Hader Hassan, James Krause, Julian Lane, Diego Lima, Ramsey Najem, and Hector Urbina. Of course, they joined, like I said, Jesse Taylor, Joe Stevenson, uh, Gilbert Smith, and Eddie Gordon. So, it's going to be an interesting season. Of course, these were all fighters that previously competed on the show and are trying to obviously get a shot at a brand new UFC contract. It's good to see Joe Stevenson in the mix. I mean, Joe Stevenson was always a fun guy to watch. Uh, definitely a, a, an incredibly athletic wrestler uh, from the, the second season of The Ultimate Fighter. And I almost forgot that he hadn't retired, but was actually let go by the organization. So, We'll see what happens. Like I said, there's a lot of good fighters there, and I think it's a season that's worth checking out, um, not only because of the fighters involved, but also because of the animosity between uh, Garbrandt and Dillashaw and also between Dillashaw and Team Alpha Male. So it's going to be an interesting season, and hopefully it recaptures some of the magic that made the Ultimate Fighter a solid, solid piece of programming back in the day. We'll see what happens. April 19th is when we're going to find that out. Um, the other thing I mentioned, you know, with, uh, the UFC roster purges was, as I said, Brock Lesnar being cut loose. And I was going to mention this instead of the ultimate fighter being the last story, but I do want to say that Brock Lesnar actually announced that he's retired. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, um, MMA fighting reported this and a spokesman from the UFC confirmed that Lesnar notified the company that he is retired and that he is to be removed from the USADA drug testing pool. Of course, this comes after Brock was suspended by the USADA for testing positive for clomiphene twice during around his fight with uh, Mark Hunt, and he would have been eligible to be back in the cage July 15th, but now that he is no longer in the testing pool, his suspension has been frozen, and if he decides to unretire, he would have to serve out the remaining five months of his suspension from the point when he re-enters the testing pool. Now, as I said, and I, I really should have closed out with the Ultimate Fighter 14, uh, 25 story, but I, I couldn't, I could not discuss this because what bothers me is that we all know Brock Lesnar came in for a payday. We all know that the UFC 
and I and I hate to say it, I I feel that they were in the know of the possibility that Brock Lesnar may have some sort of performance enhancing drugs in his system. Period. And we know that Mark Hunt is going to sue the organization, et cetera, et cetera. I've talked about that during previous episodes. But what bothers me is that he, you know, Brock comes in, collects a fat payday, gets a fine and a suspension, and he retires and he goes about his business, and that's it. As I've said before, you know, WWE should have addressed that in some capacity, and that's something that you can check back on previous episodes that I addressed, but I'm just bothered by the entire thing. He came in, he got his payday, the WWE was cool with it, and, you know, he he had banned substances in his system, and he just retires and goes about his... It's like the suspension doesn't mean shit, because he's still getting paid, and all he did was go and fight in the UFC for a quick payday. It's it's really unfortunate, and I'm not going to take anything away from Brock Lesnar. I feel... You know, I've said it before, he's a tremendous athlete, a freak of nature, but I felt that the entire the entire chain of events involving him, Mark Hunt, the suspension, the way the UFC handled it, the way the commission handled it, it was just a complete fuck up from start to finish. I'm sorry, but that's that's where I stand with it. Brock Lesnar retiring is pretty much something that it was to be expected. I I really I really felt that there was no way Brock was going to come back Anyway, because once it was found out that he was on, you know, he had used performance enhancing drugs, people were going to look at him and they were going to look at the organization, you know, in a in a sketchy sort of way anyway. So Brock's retirement is not a shocker to me. I'm just annoyed about the fact that he um, he took a suspension. He kept the bulk of his money and he just went about his business. Meanwhile, you know, guys that are trying to get in there and get their foot in the door, they got to you know, they got to they got to they got to scratch and claw to get in there. And again, you know, I like Brock. I think Brock is an amazing athlete. Uh, is he a bit of a dick? Yes. I, I you know, I've met I've had the pleasure or or displeasure of meeting him in person. And, you know, it just it wasn't it wasn't a cool experience. But as an athlete, the guy is a freak of nature on on drugs or or not, because at the end of the day, yeah, he used whatever he used, but he still had to go in the gym. He still had to go in and put in the work whatever it may have been, uh, since we all know that Brock's MMA training is always uh, uh, questionable, to say the least. But in any case, Brock Lesnar is officially once again retired from active MMA competition. So I think that's a good way to close out the MMA segment and take us into this week's wrestling. So let's jump right into it. Yes, sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. All right, so let's get that ball rolling with the Elimination Chamber, which was a pretty solid, solid card from, from the SmackDown brand. They had some really good matches. Some matches were, were better than others, but overall, the card was surprisingly enjoyable. So let me break it break it down into, you know, questionable stuff and stuff I enjoyed. So, the, you know, the, the kickoff match with Mojo and Kurt Hawkins was, it was all right. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. It was it was what it was to get the ball rolling. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It was just there. But I got to you know, I feel that the the opening match with Becky Lynch and Mickey James was actually a really really good match. Could it have been better? Sure. I think there was definitely some miscommunications and 
some miscues in the match. But overall, I thought that it was a good performance by Becky Lynch. I was actually shocked that they didn't let Mickey James come out the victor in this fight. But overall, I felt that the match itself was pretty solid. Meanwhile, I was annoyed at the handicap match with Kalisto and Apollo Crews, um, you know, defeating Dolph Ziggler, because obviously we knew that Dolph Ziggler was either going to cheat to win, which is how the match started originally with him taking Kalisto out. But Kalisto and Apollo Crews defeating Dolph Ziggler, in my opinion, doesn't raise the stock of either performer. Yes, it it adds a little bit of validation to Ziggler as a heel because he's been attacking both guys and all the shenanigans that go into it. But in the grand scheme of things, I, I feel that Dolph Ziggler needs a better program and he needs better opponents. Kalisto, as I've said on numerous ep- on numerous occasions and in previous episodes, is severely underutilized and should just be on 205 Live and in the Cruiserweight division. He brings absolutely nothing to the table for the SmackDown brand. And it's not even his fault. It's just that creative has nothing for him. And there's no real potential for him to do anything outside of being possibly a tag team champion unless they wanted to have him start competing for, you you know, the, the, the secondary title, which I just don't see it happening. Simple as that. Um... The SmackDown Tag Team Turmoil match was as good as could be expected. I knew that either American Alpha or the Usos were going to walk away with the belts. They kept the titles on American Alpha. The match itself was, it was all right. It was, the problem is that seeing that match showed me how, how severely shallow the SmackDown Tag Team division is. Obviously, we got some good teams there with the Usos and um, the Vaudevillains, even the Ascension, but... Uh, you know, the Fashion Police and Slater and Rhino, they're there, they're filler. And obviously losing Zack Ryder took the hype bros out of the mix as well. But I do feel that the tag team division on SmackDown is is a little shallow. I think maybe one or two more teams would be ideal just to, to mix things up a bit. I feel that with Raw, we're kind of getting a little bit of the same, except that obviously we're seeing some new teams come up, uh, you know, Enzo and Kaz now and, and you know, the... um. Gallows and Anderson are also just they're they're helping to to fill out that division. Their division is a little shallow too, don't misunderstand. But I just feel that seeing the SmackDown tag teams in so many multi, multiple team matches really just shows how how truly uh in need of improvement or let me let me let me rephrase that in need of fresh bodies that division really is. As for Natalia and Nikki Bella, it, you know, it, I I can't I can't say that the match was good. I can't say that the match was bad. It just it, another another filler match. I would have personally preferred that match to have been part of the kickoff show. Quite frankly, I felt that that match brought nothing to the table, and it was just a lot of you know outright physicality between two um, you know two female performers who don't like each other in this in storyline from a storyline perspective, and that's it. There was really no genuine conclusion as the match ended in a double countout. So. Unless, you know, we're building towards something big at Mania, it was, it was you know, a bathroom match for me. I'm sorry. Randy Orton and, and Luke Harper was as good as could be expected. I thought it was a solid match. I also felt, again, and I continue to say this, that Luke Harper continues to be a really, really big, bright spot on the SmackDown roster. He's another one of those big guys that moves very well, is, is capable of putting together some stellar matches and has just great ring presence. And I, I felt he made Orton look good. And that was definitely something that Luke Harper has become quite, 
you know, quite skilled at making his opponents look good. Not that Randy Orton in any case needs it, but he definitely looked the part for that match and looked like a bona fide contender for WrestleMania. Now, the co-main event, obviously, your SmackDown Women's Championship saw Naomi defeating Alexa Bliss in a very, very, very good match. I thought it was tremendously done. I enjoyed it. You know, it's about high time that Naomi got a chance to shine. And it was it was really good, man. I, I was blown away. I thought that it was it was awesome. Um, they did a good job. They really did. I thought that there was some good storytelling. I could see that Alexa Bliss definitely has uh, infinite potential. And Naomi was really good. Uh, it's 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 really one of those things where Naomi has all the tools, the agility, the presence, the ring entrance, the gimmick to be a bona fide star. But it's always one of those things where she can only be as good as her opponents. And um, it's one of those things we got to we got to keep an eye on. I, I felt that the match, the match definitely was one of the better matches for both Alexa Bliss and Naomi. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Naomi. I mean, there's been a lot of speculation that Naomi got injured in that match. And, um, you know, it's something it's something definitely to keep an eye on. And uh, hopefully that is not the case, but we'll see what happens. Um, You know, I think that Naomi, Naomi heading, heading to Florida with the belt is, uh, is definitely a a good thing in terms of WrestleMania appeal, but in terms of her longevity as champion, she's only going to be as good as, you know, the opponents that she has. That's all I'm saying. All right. So let's talk about the brand new elimination chamber, which was uh, for, for the most part, really really good i mean there were a lot of great spots there were a lot of good matches and i also felt that there were some really good there was some really good foreshadowing for some potential feuds and matches we'll see at mania um number one obviously you know ambrose and corbin we know we're going to see something with that we know we're probably going to see something with the miz in the near future um cena and aj were definitely on all dialing in on all cylinders and of course, Bray Wyatt capturing the title was the icing on the cake. And um, the Elimination Chamber definitely brought the show full circle. It was it had a ton of energy. It had some really great stuff. We had some amazing spots. And um, Corbin Corbin looked good, man. I think that whatever if 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 there if him and Ambrose are going to be on a collision course for WrestleMania, they um, they did a good job with that. I thought it was really good. I like the fact that you know the Miz was just being a fucking scummy douchebag heel, which was really good. And Bray Wyatt was, um, you know, it was, it was one of those things that he looked good. He, he delivered when he needed, he, he delivered when he needed to. And above all, he really brought some stellar, stellar, um, you know, some, some great presence to, to a solid match overall. He definitely, you know, he was my pick to win it. And he definitely was the dark horse going in, but he mixed it up very well. And it was a good way to close out uh, a pretty paint by numbers filler pay-per-view. You know, like I always say with these pay-per-views that are between the big four, um, it was good. The matches overall were solid and, you know, the title changes with Naomi and uh, Bray Wyatt were definitely welcome. It sent the crowd home happy and it made uh, this, this wrestling fan very happy as well. Now, with that said, let's go into Raw. Raw was 
Ah, man, Raw was was interesting. You know, we had Roman Reigns come out talking shit, got put into a, a handicap match with Gallows and Anderson, which was what it was. Um, I was bummed out because they really hurt. Uh, it, it, not to say that it hurt Gallows and Anderson, but I just felt that, you know, definitely they gave Roman Reigns a lot more offense than he should have had. Um, Kofi Kingston's match with Bo Dallas was weird, obviously continuing to build towards the New Day's ice cream debut, which um, <laughs> was interesting. We had a, a Jack Gallagher sighting, him taking on Noam Dar in a, in a pretty decent match. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was it was all right. You know, it was it definitely was good enough for the time that they had, but you needed that match to to build Jack Gallagher up as as he continues on his road to uh, his match with um Neville at Fastlane. We had the return of Emelina which um yeah. So basically she you know all this hype, all this build up we were making over Emma to Emelina and she came out and essentially said that she was going to be going back to Emma. And um there's some there's some interesting story there's some interesting stories to go with that which I'll discuss later on in the segment but it was it was all right. <laughs> that's that's all I gotta say. Uh, Braun Strowman and Mark Henry had a had a decent match. Um, Braun Strowman definitely looked apart in this match. He um he ended up beating Mark Henry with the power slam, and it was it was a crazy spot. It was um it was it was good. You know, Roman Reigns and him had their little face off, and then. Braun Strowman killed him dead in the in the post match, but I thought that that his work with Henry was really good. Uh, Enzo and Kaz had a little face off with Sheamus and Cesaro, which led to a match. I um I felt that the that Enzo and Kaz were just um I don't know, man. They basically they've basically worn out their welcome, which is kind of fucked up to say because I was into it, but um I really I just I just was genuinely annoyed by by the way they were presented this week. I don't know why. I was just like, fuck, they they sucked. They really, really did. Um, Samoa Joe sat down with Michael Cole in a really good interview. They did an amazing job uh, getting Samoa Joe not only over as a, as a guy who's going to be a fucking force, but also they, they definitely were setting up something in, in him name dropping Sami Zayn, which as soon as I saw him name drop him specifically, I was like, yeah, him and Sam, Sami Zayn is probably going to get his ass whooped. And sure enough, Sami Zayn took on Rusev and um, he secured the victory with the Haluva kick. It was it was a good match. And then as soon as Sami Zayn went up and he started celebrating, Samoa Joe came out and whooped his ass. So, uh, you know, not a big shocker there. As soon as, like I said, Sami got name dropped, I said, well, we know who Samoa Joe is going to be wrestling first. And I have no problem with it. I think that these are you know, two Ring of Honor, two great ROH standouts who are definitely going to go in there and tear the house down when the opportunity presents itself. And I think he's a great, he's a great first opponent for Joe. I'm sure that they're going to square off at Fastlane. And I think it's going to be one of the matches that if it, if and when it gets announced, it has all the potential to steal the show. Uh, we also got the announcement that Teddy Long is going into the Hall of Fame, uh, which is you know it's it's pretty fucking cool to see that they should have they should have marked the occasion with a tag team match but um he's going to be joining the rock and roll express and Kurt Angle as you know the his fellow inductees when that ceremony goes down March 31st um of course there's going to be other 
inductions announced over the coming weeks. But um, Teddy Long definitely deserves it. Like I said, they should have marked the occasion with uh, with a tag team match. But alas, we can't we can't have them all. Uh, we had an Akira Tozawa sh- uh, sighting this week, taking on Arya Davari. It was it was good. The crowd was really into it. Uh, they're, they're, they're definitely doing the Tozawa chant, the ha 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 that he does as he's fucking people up. I thought that was really good. Arya Davari, um, you know, I thought he was going to be riding a bigger wave of momentum, but now he's, uh, he's become fodder to put over some of these debuting guys. He's almost becoming like a, like another Drew Gulak, who, who I'm a big fan of, but is another guy that comes in there to put, put a lot of guys over. Not sure if we'll ever see uh, a bona fide title run from either guy, but I, you know, I felt that Davari was, was good in the, in, in this capacity, putting over Tazawa, who, as I said, is definitely getting over with the crowd. Now, of course, this week's Raw was the Festival of Friendship, which, um, oh man, it had, it had some crazy stuff. It had a weird sculpture that, that Jericho commissioned. We had showgirls. We had a sequined fedora and a shiny jacket for Jericho. We had a crazy, um, a crazy painting that Jericho had done of him and Kevin Owens. It was, uh, oh man, it was, it was ridiculous. We had a magician and we had, uh, Jericho say that he, he was calling Goldberg out so that they could whoop Goldberg's ass. Of course, uh, the crowd fully into it and the music hits. And instead of Goldberg, we get Gilberg, which, um, was pretty funny. I'm sure Goldberg was, was not a fan. And, um, it, it was crazy that Kevin Owens just went out there and killed that. He whooped Gilbert's ass. Um, you know, you could see the frustration on Kevin Owens face. And as I was watching the, the segment unfold, I said this today may be the day I said to my wife, I'm like, today may be the day that Chris Jericho catches that ass whooping. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Kevin Owens presented him with a gift. Inside was a new list, but it was not the list of Jericho. It was the list of KO. And it was funny because obviously uh, Kevin Owens whooped Chris Jericho's ass. He powerbombed him into the turnbuckle and he ended up throwing Chris Jericho through uh, the, the Jericho flat screen TV. Um, definitely a, a, a nice homage to, you know, the the uh, the plate glass when Shawn Michaels put Marty Jannetty through the window. Uh, it was it was really good. I like the way they did it. I felt that the heel turn was done um, was very well done. We had a lot of, of hilarious segments. Chris Jericho's on another gear with this stuff, man. He was completely out of his fucking mind. And, and, you know, to see Kevin Owens transition from, you know, eh, from kind of not being happy about being in this festival of friendship to downright disgust at being let down. Um, I really, I really felt that they, they did a good job with it. Obviously this puts Jericho and Owens on a collision course for WrestleMania, but but I love the way they did it. I love the the viciousness in the attack. I liked you know how how genuine Jericho was and in, in his emotions and and you know telling Kevin Owens you're my best friend. I fucking love you. Blah blah blah. And then you know just a an ass whooping and a stretcher job. So um, definitely well done. Um, you know we got our we got our Cesaro and Enzo match, which was a complete clusterfuck. I hated it. I hated it so much. The match was terrible. Putting Cesaro in there with Enzo is just an, uh, you know, underutilizing Cesaro and just putting Enzo out there and exposing how much of a, uh, of a really, really subpar wrestler he is. Enzo is, is a guy that he definitely can, can go in there and he can wrestle in limited doses, 
but it de- he'll definitely get exposed when he's in there with more established guys, and that definitely was the case with Cesaro. You know, it, it is what it is, but I was I was not a fan. Um, our main event was Charlotte and Bailey, and holy shit! If you you know, we go from you know Charlotte and Sasha having these amazing amazing matches, and you know it, it's like you just pluck Sasha out and you put Bailey in the mix. And we just get another fucking amazing match. And it's funny because obviously earlier in the night we had a little a little face to face between Sasha and Charlotte. And and there's definitely foreshadowing there uh, of the inevitable Sasha Banks heel turn. I, we all know it's coming. It's just a matter of when. But man, you know, we saw Dana Brooke come back, which you can see that Dana Brooke is definitely getting ready for the Arnold Classic. She was ripped. She looked really jacked when she came out there and, you know, they, they've been saying that she's going to be competing in the Arnold Classic and it, and it showed, you know, she was tan. She had good, she had a good look, uh, shades of Beth Phoenix in, in, in the way she looked when she came out. It was definitely good to see that. And obviously Sasha getting involved and helping Bailey in, in that situation. I'm curious to see if that's how they're going to go with the, with the inevitable heel turn with Sasha saying that she helped her become champion, blah, 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 or does do they play the 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 Bailey just being annoyed that Sasha quote unquote helped her and that being the catalyst? There's a lot of ways that this can go, or it can just go with with Sasha being genuinely happy for her friend, but still wanting a title opportunity, and perhaps you know Charlotte or Nia Jax or any of them just interfering and um, not letting Bailey and Sasha have their one on one match, which of course will lead to the inevitable match at WrestleMania. But overall, I thought Raw was really good. Um like I said, it followed a pretty solid Elimination Chamber pay-per-view and of course, uh it's going to take us into SmackDown. And SmackDown had a lot of good stuff, man. Um the non-title match with American Alpha and, and the Ascension was all right. Uh Mickey James took on Becky Lynch once again. Mickey James got her win back and um we had a WWE title match with Bray Wyatt taking on John Cena and AJ Styles, which was Again, just a just a great match uh, through and through. Uh, I'm really tired of of the Ellsworth and Carmella stuff. I don't know where where we're going with it. Um, it's 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 pretty ridiculous. But I just I just I'm not a fan. I definitely am not a fan. Um, I gotta say the the Becky Lynch and Mickey James match was was good. I I you know I could have gone with Mickey James winning on Sunday and Becky Lynch getting the win back on Tuesday, but it is what it is. I mean it was it was a decent match. Um definitely not as good as their first outing, but but good enough, you know? It's um I'm not sure where they want to go with this because like I said, you bring back Mickey James and you have her lose on pay-per-view, but then you have her win on on live TV. So I, I, I kind of feel that we're obviously going to get a Mickey James title run, but where does she fit in the in the grand scheme of things right now? It's anybody's guess, honestly. Um, they uh, they did a good job with the uh, Naomi interview, and um, you know she she uh, she came out, she had a knee brace, and um, you know she was talking about being injured. Alexa Br- Alexa Bliss comes out, blah blah blah, and um, it was it was it was a good inter- good enough interview. Um, Naomi is always definitely stepping into a more, a more positive element now with her as champion. And I say this because, you know, Naomi, when she was a heel 
with Tamina and and with Sasha and even when she was an, a heel on her own, I just always looked at her and I could never really see her being a villain. And, you know, it's something we've talked about before about wrestlers either just being, uh, you know, tailor made for being heels like The Miz or Randy Orton or Dolph Ziggler or just being tailor made for for being faces. And some some wrestlers are capable of breaking that stigma and reinventing themselves like Neville. But then there are others like Naomi who you just can't see as anything but a face. Uh, it's the same thing when I see Bailey. Like it would be so weird to see Bailey as a heel because Bailey as a face is just so effective. But with Bailey, it's an element that we haven't seen yet. But with Naomi, we've seen it, and it definitely hasn't been uh, very good. I also got to say that Alexa Bliss definitely has become a really capable heel from NXT to SmackDown, and she's one of those performers that she would probably she would probably get over as a face. But her heel work thus far has been tremendous. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention was what's been going on with Randy Orton and, um, you know, with the Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt. Of course, it's interesting because, you know, Bray Wyatt and and Randy Orton, obviously on a collision course for, for WrestleMania, Randy Orton doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to challenge his, you know, the eater of worlds. It was it was definitely interesting the way that it went, um, just because obviously, you know, John Cena comes out and we know that there's that setup. But um, it, it was interesting because let's say Randy Orton doesn't want to challenge Bray Wyatt for the title. What do we what do we do then? I mean, obviously, we could do a triple threat match. Then there's the, the, the rumor that The Undertaker is waiting in the wings. I'm, I'm just I'm just not sure where they where they want to go with that but it 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 definitely makes for for some interesting scenarios in you know in the WWE title picture and to see the match with with Wyatt uh John Cena and AJ Styles and just see how much potential there is for either one of those guys to be involved in that match or to challenge for that match is um you know it's it's another story altogether but fuck was it a was it a really good job i felt that it was, uh, you know, just great, great work from Cena and Styles, which we already knew. And and Bray Wyatt definitely was a great piece of the puzzle. And they they worked really well. They really did. Um, I felt that letting Bray Wyatt have two back-to-back strong performances is a great way to start just validating him as champion and not making him some a cowardly champion or a champion that's not out there having uh, you know, stellar matches, you know, Bray Wyatt is a, is a combination of just, st- you know, solid ring work, great presence, and above all else, you know, um, high class mic work. And to see him just bring all of that together and just deliver not only in a, in a, you know, in a, in a match with a stipulation as big as the elimination chamber, but even mixing it up with two of the best in the business, you know, with Cena and AJ Styles in their own right. Um, it was it was good. Not only that, but it also validates Bray Wyatt because you got to remember he pinned John Cena on Sunday, and he also pinned him Monday. In theory, you know it's uh, it definitely was interesting. You know it's a it's a good way to to really really validate Bray Wyatt's win. Um, not sure what's gonna happen, but um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. That's for sure. Uh, SmackDown definitely was 
one of the uh you know just a a great a great way to close out a solid week of wwe programming now normally i would talk about 205 live but unfortunately uh by the time we started recording this i didn't get a chance to sit down and watch 205 live maybe next week i'll talk a little bit about 205 live and i also want to talk a little bit about nxt as i feel nxt has fallen by the wayside but i do want to uh jump into the wrestling news for this week as i was saying before uh, the Emelina gimmick appears to be dead and buried. Uh, the pro wrestling sheet said that um, Emelina's transformation back to Emma was being done because the producers and and talent, you know, and writers backstage feel that the gimmick just wasn't working. They said that, you know, they wanted to try to do something similar to how Sable was presented, but that Emma allegedly wasn't committed enough to the role and they decided to just scrap the whole thing and probably revisit it with another performer. Now, I I really felt that there was nothing wrong with Emma's gimmick. I felt that when Emma was in NXT with Dana Brooke and then made her debut on the main roster, that her evil Emma gimmick was perfectly fine. There, there didn't need to be any crazy character or anything else. Just a chick that could go out there and wrestle and, and kick ass. And that's... um. That's what I thought we were getting, but instead we went this completely other route with Emelina, and it just, like I said, it, it ran, and I said this last week and the week prior, it ran too long, and by the time we finally got a payoff, there was really zero interest in it whatsoever, which is a shame, but what can you do? Let's go with what works. Let's bring Emma back out there, and let's have her mix it up with the women that are currently on the roster. I think that she's capable of having great matches, and I'm curious to see what happens because her her partner, her running buddy, um, Dana Brooke, is now you know Charlotte's number two or her assistant, however you want to look at it. I'm curious to see if they're going to do anything with that, if they're going to explore that, if they're going to maybe align Emma with Charlotte. There's there's definitely some potential there, and it's something to keep an eye on. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks, but it's good to have Emma back in there. It's a, it's another fresh body in the women's division, and it just creates some brand new matches instead of seeing the usual, you know, Nia Jax, Sasha Banks, Bailey, Nia Jax, Charlotte, Bailey, Nia Jax uh, matches that we've seen every week. So welcome back, Emma. Glad you're Emma and not Emmalina. <laughs> Simple as that. Very cool announcement that they did on on Raw this past Monday, which I also received from HBO, that uh, WWE is going to actually be partnering with HBO Sports and Bill Simmons Media Group to produce an, a documentary about Andre the Giant, which um, is obviously going to examine his life, his career, and you know everything related to relating to Andre and the fact you know what made him the eighth wonder of the world and. You know, I'm actually when I received the 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 press release from HBO, I was like, you know what, Andre the Giant is one of those guys that has such an amazing story. There's so much that we just don't know about him outside of just his work as a performer, him showing up in The Princess Bride, and and we know very we know a, a smidge a smidge of it. But it looks like this brand new documentary that they're going to be working on with HBO is going to you know it's going to capture. A lot of his stories, it's going to, um, you know, obviously have a WWE endorsement. And I believe that his family is also going to be involved in it. I know that there were some uh, new stories over the last couple of weeks that his daughter was at some WWE events. So I'm curious to see it. It's it's a documentary I'm definitely going to check out. I mean, um, you know, I saw the XFL documentary, which I enjoyed. And I think Andre the Giant definitely has enough of a, of a crazy story 
that could definitely make for a compelling documentary. As soon as I hear an air date or, you know, anything related to that, of course, I will share it with you guys immediately. While the WWE saw Emma return, it also saw the departure of a longtime diva, that being Rosa Mendez, who actually announced on Instagram that she was retiring from WWE as an active performer. Uh, Rosa Mendez has been with WWE for a long time. She's been there for, for 10 years. Um, she recently gave birth to a baby girl, and um, she was a, a, a cast member on Total Divas. And I think that, you know, she... um. I read her her statement. I didn't get it. I didn't copy it verbatim to share with you guys. But, you know, it was it was cool. She went out on her own terms. She's a parent. I, I get it, especially because, you know, her her little girl, you know, she's she's very young. And um, it's one of those things where you want to you want to be there for your kids. And, you know, you obviously just want to focus on real life. It, it's always weird to me because Rosa Mendez had a lot of potential. She had a cool look. And when she was originally going to be debuting with the company, she had this super athletic background. I'm like, oh man, they're going to do some crazy stuff with her. And instead she, she went from, you know, being with Primo and Epico to, uh, you know, do being with Fandango to being on total divas to really not faring well in any singles competition whatsoever. Um, it was, it was definitely, you know, I was sad to hear that she was retiring, but I also felt that she never she never really reached her her peak in the company anyway. Nonetheless, you know, I wish her luck. And, um, you know, you never know what happens in this business. She may she may come back down the road. But for right now, Rosa Mendez officially retired. We got some Lucha Underground news this week. Um, obviously, I was looking forward to seeing Lucha Underground debut on Netflix on February 15th, which was shared not only by Lucha Underground, but by Netflix. But as it turns out, they put a new tweet out that says that Lucha Underground seasons one and two will be coming to Netflix in spring of 2017. This is a big about face from them announcing that we would be seeing Netflix uh, Lucha Underground on Netflix on February 15th. Obviously, that is not the case. Not sure what the hell happened, but everybody was looking forward to seeing Lucha on Netflix. And obviously, that is not the case. So Lucha Underground will now be debuting on Netflix at some point this spring. Once we get an official new date, uh, we will share it with you guys. While we are on the subject of Lucha Underground, it's um, the situation between Pentagon and Lucha Libre FMV, which is the parent company of Lucha Underground and AAA, continues to just spiral more and more out of control. Uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter said that AAA has filed new trademarks uh, for Penta Zero M and Phoenix L Ray, which, of course, uh, P Penta Zero M is Pentagon's new name after departing uh, AAA and Phoenix, who, as he was known in Lucha Underground, originally was performing as Ray Phoenix and um, also as Phoenix L Ray. Now, it seems that Pentagon has gone and changed his name again to Penta Zero M, which, um, you know, I think it was done to prevent Lucha Libre uh, from from getting the rights to those names, obviously. um. You know, I feel that Lucha Libre has doesn't need to to do all that. I I know that they have trademarked uh, Pentagon Junior, Pentagon Dark, and Phoenix, but that should be enough, man. Like, stop trying to. And I and I said this during last week's episode, but to see them continuing to go after and try and lock down these other names, it just what does it matter? 
Listen, the names that that you got these guys under Pentagon, Pentagon, Dark, and Phoenix, you already own them. So l- let these guys earn a living. Even if Pentagon was performing as as Zero M or Cero Miedo, like he he should just go out there and perform as Cero Miedo, and that should be it. Just no fear, and people would know who it is just just on that alone. He should have just gone and started to just call himself Cero Miedo. Or, you know, obviously No Fear probably is trademarked by by No Fear, the uh, the clothing line. But at, th- at that point, at least, he, he would have co- probably been able to secure something a little better. But Penta Zero M, everybody knows that, and, and everybody's going to call him Pentagon anyway. But um, I, just, I just feel that AAA and Lucha Libre FMV are trying too hard, man. They're reaching a little more than they should. For something that that's really not that serious, you know, it's it's a little it's a little disingenuous, and in my opinion, it's just a little fucked up. Just let the guys live, man. Like you already got the names that matter. Just let them let them let them live. Simple as that. While we are on the subject of lucha libre, um, I was sad to hear the about the passing of Chavo Guerrero Sr., who many of you may know not only as the father of Chavo Guerrero Jr., but also Chavo Classic, who was um, the oldest cruiserweight champion um, when he was Chavo Classic in WWE. Um, you know, he passed away at the age of 68. He is the old, He was the oldest son of Gory Guerrero, who, and he was also the brother of Mondo, Hector, and Eddie Guerrero. Uh, as of right now, it is said that his the cause of death was from liver cancer that he had been diagnosed with in January. Uh, Chavo Guerrero Sr. had appeared in plenty of, of promotions and territories, including NWA, AWA, Lucha Underground, AAA, and even WWE, as I said, where he competed as Chavo Classic alongside Chavo Guerrero Jr. and captured the Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, my condolences to the Guerrero family. Chavo Classic was was awesome. And, you know, the, the, that wrestling family has, has endured so much. And now to have to endure the passing of of a guy like Chavo Guerrero Sr., who, like I said, was obviously an active part in Chavo Guerrero Jr.'s career, but just an active part in the wrestling industry altogether. It's, it's always sad, man, to report this stuff, especially for, for something like that. You know, I've talked about my my thoughts on, on you know, cancer and, and the people that it's claimed, and it's it's just, you know, one of, the, one of those diseases that it sucks. Like I said, my condolences to the Guerrero family. I'm sure that, that Chavo's taking it really hard. Um, you know, WWE did a nice little video package, you know, a nice little video, um, at the start of raw and, you know, honoring, uh, Chavo classic and, you know, a huge outpouring of support on social media from various, uh, wrestlers from various promotions. And, um, you know, definitely sad. That's for sure. Um, not to not to end the show on on a sad note, which you know is not something I want to do. I did want to mention that um, Lucha Libre Promotions now Tier One Lucha Libre is going to be doing a show this weekend. If you're in the New York area at the Laboom Nightclub, and uh, Pentagon and Drago from Lucha Underground will be uh, performing at that event. I'm going to see if I can get the link for that and put it in the show notes for this episode. So if you are within the New York City's New York City five boroughs or in the tri-state area and you're interested in checking it out, you can you can head there and see Pentagon in action or, or Penta Cero M or Zero M, depending on on how you want to read that, and Drago in action. So look for links for that in the show notes for this episode. With that, I think it's a good way to close out the wrestling segment and 
episode 396 of My Take Radio. So I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling. As always, I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. Uh, you can find Rageworks there. You can also find us uh, a dedicated My Take Radio account on Twitter. And if you really want to interact with us, you can also join our Facebook group, which um, has myself and the rest of the Rageworks and MTR team uh, fully active in there talking gaming, MMA, wrestling, pop culture, everything and anything related to uh, what we cover on Rageworks as well as what we cover on air. So links for all of that will be in the show notes for this episode. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to check us out this week, for hitting that play or that download button, and um, we really appreciate it. If you enjoy what we do, take a few minutes and give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. We would really, really appreciate it. And if you are interested in being a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, whether it's the MMA and Wrestling Edition or on the Gaming and Entertainment Edition, drop me a line rich at rageworks.net or mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you happen to forget either one of those emails, you can always use the contact tab on rageworks.net, which has a form there that you can fill out and it reaches uh, myself or any of the Rageworks team and we will be in touch to iron out details. All right, guys. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you guys next week. Peace. My Take Radio is part of the Rageworks Podcast Network, giving you the best rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. To find out more, visit us at rageworks.net.